This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the post-Colorado low-high uh, edition of Sharing Socks. I am a Southside Sox duty geezer, Lee Allen, and with me, my son, and usual West Coast correspondent, but while he's in Chicago for uh, rehearsals of his new play, next room correspondent, Will, as the Sox are now into their 17-game streak of some of the worst teams in the history of Major League Baseball. I'm getting worse as we go. We'll get into that. Uh, and uh, they're two games in, having split in Colorado. You didn't uh, you didn't get to see Wednesday's game because you were in rehearsal, right? I didn't get to see it, but my phone was blowing up from the White Sox thread, which is a guarantee that something's going horribly wrong. Um, just because this year it hasn't happened when something's been going right. <laughs> so I just assume it's when something's going wrong. It had probably the most white soxiest moment of the entire season when with two guys on, including Leori Garcia on third. Oh, no. Yuan Moncada drew a walk, which would have loaded the bases. But Leori, for some reason, perhaps to get a better view of the pitch, was halfway down the third baseline and easily picked off by the Colorado catcher. You may have asked, do we have a third base coach? And the answer generally is not really. Uh, Plus, even without the coach, what Leary was doing out there. Yeah, do you you have any idea? I mean, this is the event that really triggered my phone to explode yesterday. I'm sure. Uh, Do you have any idea what he was trying to do? No. 
No, I, I, I think the excuse that Larusa came up with was something like he was getting a good secondary lead. But why? There were two outs. Nobody was going to make a play at the plate on anybody. Yeah. If there was a ground ball, they were going to first. So it's not like he had, if it was a contact uh, play that he had to beat the throw home. There was not going to be a throw home under any circumstance. <laughs> so I don't. I guess if there was a wild pitch that didn't but, get but very you far away. You yeah, exactly. If there's a wild pitch, you could walk home from third base. No, I, I mean, didn't. Jose Abreu is... also got picked off on a on a medium soft line drive to second. He was on second base. So that was another White Sox club. Uh, what else do we have? Tim Anderson to start a double play. Um, was taking it himself rather than than flipping uh, to Josh at second, and missed the base. Did not did not step on second, and again that one proved of no difference because I think the next pitch was an out. But it's <laughs> it was it was just so. And the game they won, the game they won on Tuesday. You know why they actually won? Because Chris Bryant. Has plantar fasciitis. Have you ever had plantar fasciitis? No, I have not, but I hear it is excruciating. I have had it. Yeah, Carlos Quentin was out with it for weeks at, at one time years ago. I've had it, and it really, really, it hurts to take a gentle step to go to the bathroom or something. So Brian is playing, incidentally. A hundred well, million dollar be, player. You shouldn't be playing. taking. You shouldn't be taking that many steps when you're going to the bathroom. I mean, you <laughs> you should just plant firmly and and go. But we'll we'll work on those you know those things later. Here's here's a superstar, an absolute superstar with a seven year contract, playing his heart out with plantar fasciitis, but he can't run very fast. So one of the Sox double plays with a man on third was getting Bryant by half a step because he can't run because he's got plantar fasciitis. And and that was a one run game. Well, are uh, you they, sure they, they just they got lucky to get to just get a break in uh, even break in Colorado? Maybe he wasn't. Maybe it wasn't the planter thing. Maybe he his coach Bud Black told him that because he's one of the top five players, he shouldn't run hard to first. So maybe that's what it was because that's something all the coaches do now, right? They all tell their stars <laughs> yeah. not to run hard. Chris Bryant is injured and running harder than anyone on our team. Yes. And he's playing for a team that's 10 games under 500 almost. I mean, so we're, we're recording this on Thursday. We haven't mentioned yet that it was a walk-off loss last night. Um, yes. So we won on Tuesday in what is – what I would say a, a typical White Sox win for 2022, which is completely uninspired, uh, another team having to give the game away uh, type of victory. This is sort of the most common type of win we've had this year. You and I talk about this a lot of like, you know, we sit at home, we watch these games, and when the games are over, even if we won, we're just sitting there like, all right, well, we won that. There's no excitement whatsoever. and. We are very easily excitable baseball fans. You, you know, say, I used at the top. I, I covered yesterday's that's Wednesday's game and, and used the, the picture at the top rather than any White Sox player because there was no reason to. 
the picture of the excitement. They did Colorado, you're 10 games under 500. They were dumping Gatorade because they got a walk off. As they should. We have no more Yomer around to do that. We've got Josh Harrison. Josh Harrison, in my opinion, right now, we have two baseball players on our team, Josh Harrison and Jose Abreu. And everyone else is just a guy who was hired to go to work from 9 to 5, uh, or in this case, from 7.40 to 11 o'clock. I mean, just absolute absence of what seems to be giving a crap about playing this game. I, I've I've never seen anything like it. As soon as we go up one game over 500, you know, all my friends, you and I, were like, okay, here we go. Here we go. This is it. This is it. Now they're going to get back in it. It's going to be fun. They got past the 500 thing. Everyone's calling them disappointments. But now we're we're on the roll. They come out. They play completely uninspired baseball and lose in a walk-off to what I would say is a, a really bad Rockies team. I mean, they are uh, – I mean, they play okay at home, but they're still a bad team. Yeah, but, they're they're not a team that we should – in a two-game series, we should never lose to them, to be honest. We, we should win a two-game series against them every single time, both games. There's just no excuse for that, even at home, because we're we're hitting the ball into the same air they are. So it's not like, you know, they get the mile-high air while we have the Chicago air. Uh, it is absurd that we did not win both of these games. I've told my buddies, if we don't come out of this Colorado, Texas, Oakland thing, I was saying five games over 500. I'll cut it down to four. <laughs> well, I, then, I, I still think it's got it. It's got five. We've got 15, 17 more of these games. It was a 19 games against losing teams. Seven of those 17 even are against Kansas City, which today gave their best player away and have been attending to the Yankees. Right, right. Uh, and there's going to be more of that. By the time we play Oakland on Monday, be the day before uh, the trade deadline, they will have given away anything they can give away or having them yep. sit so they don't get they, hurt before the trade. They will not have Montas anymore. They will not have uh, Murphy anymore. Yeah, they will They will be a certifiable minor league baseball team by the time we play them. Uh, it's, it's So 17 left. I mean, if you don't go really 12 and 5, <laughs> I mean, it, it's before you – I, I even it, think – This is before the Astros on August 15th. Yeah, I was I was more referring to just these three series where we need to be five games over. But if you start to include the Kansas City thing, I mean, if if it's not twelve and five, if it's not thirteen and four, if it's not fourteen and three, the season's over. I I mean it just is. You get to a point, you know, we make excuses all year for this team. We make them all year. And the number one excuse we we have been holding on to is we're 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 a month into the season. We're two months into the season. We're only three months into the season. We're only at the All Star break. Well, that is now gone. You you do have examples of teams hitting absurd hot streaks late in the season. Uh, it's so common, like the uh, Oakland Athletics did in two thousand one. I think it was. Well, it's like so, Colorado pulled off the biggest run ever. I it's think. so common that they make a movie about it when it happens. <laughs> so. 
it's not like we can really be banking on the 21 game win streak in September to get us there. We, we've got to be realistic, especially against good teams. Uh, it is you, probably, you probably hear the sirens right now. That, that's an ambulance bringing in the soul of the White Sox down to St. Joe Hospital next door. That's Reinsdorf, actually. Those are police sirens. And that's Reinsdorf having us arrested for bad-mouthing his team without his permission. Uh, it is, I mean, last night was, it wasn't necessarily the nail in the coffin. No. But it felt like the nail in the coffin. Yeah, it, I mean, it just went and um, add to the things. Joe Kelly leaves the game. Originally, he was shaking his hand, and, and Steve and Jason thought it was a, a hand problem. No. Biceps. What do we know about Joe Kelly and biceps? He missed the end of last year. We signed him, even though he was not healed and missed all the spring training and much, much of April, with the very same problem. He had never healed from two-year contract. Is it 17 or $15 million? And I saw somebody say that it was a La Russa deal, that he wanted him. I'm telling you, if, if Rick Hahn signed him because La Russa wanted him to 15 or $17 million for two years, Hahn's got to go. That he never stood up to Jerry in the first place and just said, I'm done. I'm, I, they, I was the executive of the year. I can get another job. I'm, I'm, I'm not taking And he that. would in a heartbeat. It, it's, I don't even understand why Han still works for this team, but maybe he's just as dumb I, as he's the rest of them. He's an empty suit, a total empty yeah. he's got Maybe his kid is in school and will not and doesn't want to change schools. I mean, I, who knows? Yeah. Um, there's, there's no excuse for Rick Han now. <laughs> yeah, the Joe Kelly thing is, is truly perplexing because it, Kelly, first off, was not great before this injury. He, he's had very good seasons, but – Leading up to the injury, he wasn't great. So it's not like, you know, we were clinging to the the just before he was injured, Joe Kelly. Then he comes back from this injury. At one point, his ERA was 55 or something like that for the White Sox. Can you explain to me why Joe Kelly and Kendall Graveman pitched yesterday? Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, and then, of course, Graveman came in and, he got one bad call, but it was one of those a half inch into the strike zone things where he's missing every pitch. You don't get calls then. Yeah. He had a five-pitch walk, a four-pitch walk, and one three-two walk. I mean, by that basis. point, I was following the game on GameCast, so I could see the, the little strikeout thing. Uh, and the pitches were. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, if my screen is the, is the strike zone right now, people who can't see, I'm pointing far off the screen. Uh, for for what? Yeah, the, the batter with two strikes like. was never tempted to take a swing at the, at the ensuing balls because they weren't they weren't tempting. I think it was seven um, or eight balls far off the plate in a row at one point. I mean, just um, not even close. So we don't know what the story is with 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 Graveman. Uh, <laughs> it's it's just a very strange circumstance. You mentioned the players who who, who are alive. I think the other one is Reese McGuire. He's done a great catching job, but he's not allowed to play now. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, I don't know last time he played. We have two guys with strong D wars. Two, McGuire and Josh Harrison. And a smattering of other guys who are like a 0.2 or so, like uh, Adam Eggler. And a bunch of minus 1.3, minus 1. And they're all out there 
<laughs> you wonder why our defense can't do any. Uh, somebody, some commenter yesterday was talking about, well, at least Leury made uh, some really good catches in center. No, he didn't. He made catches. I mean, I'm watching this game closely because I'm reporting on it. He made catches that every center fielder in the major leagues, triple A, double A, and probably single A makes. They were they were on the run. Yeah, good for him, but they weren't run as hard as you possibly can. And the way that we have started describing good defensive plays by the White Sox outfield is absurd. We need to recalibrate a little bit our expectations for a major league outfielder because you you see Leori, you see Sheets, you see Bond make Eloy make absolutely routine catches for an even mediocre outfielder. These would be routine catches. Our guys catch them in a full sprint because they took a bad route to the ball, and people are like, oh, wow, but they made such a good play. Well, well no, they I'm didn't. wearing, and tribute to this very comment, I'm wearing <laughs> my, my Melky Cabrera shirt because I think all of our corner outfielders, except when Angle is out there, and occasionally Pollock, are Melky Cabrera. Melky used to make the most incredible diving, rolling, leaping catches. And then you'd look at the replay and you'd see that where he was leaping and diving and rolling <laughs> was where he had been standing at the time the ball was hit. He just got way off somewhere and put her and realized, oh, I better get back. And that's what our guys are. The well, the big difference, though, the big creative. difference I'll say is that Melky was actually putting in the the effort in the end. He was taking the absolute worst, slowest, most awful path to the ball, but he was still actually diving and actually making the catch. Oh, now, was, not, the, not the slowest route. He was running hard in the wrong direction. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and then come back. But I, I mean, loved him. I loved him because he, he always got there. It seemed like he always got there, even though he made a totally routine catch look uh, incredible. Out, outside of, 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 of course, Robert, who seems to just not be – playing anymore and Adam Engel who has had a bizarrely bad defensive year for Adam Engel uh, we've got Pollock and, and Pollock is not he's not a good fielder um, he does it, okay he does at least take the correct route to the ball he does it he does hustle to the ball when it's hit to the outfield which is a huge difference between him and Aloy uh, is Pollock cuts off balls properly in the outfield he he sees uh, ground balls to the outfield, I he should say. and probably Engel are the only outfielders the White Sox have that other teams don't constantly run on, including taking second on routine singles, uh, going first to third on balls hit to left, um, and then scoring when the outfielder has the ball in his hand, medium deep, and their their base goes just waving them around knowing that they're going to score, and they do. And the nice thing, you know, about Pollock is that he has seen teams do this to the other outfielders, and he is hustling to make sure it doesn't happen to him, which is exactly what you should be doing if you're a Major League (laughs) Baseball player. You should be making sure that you're not the bum that they're going to take second on a routine single. Well, the other outfielders haven't gotten that memo. But I, I will say Pollock is not overwhelmingly great. I still think we actually got the better deal in the Kimbrel trade. Well, but, anything to get rid of Kimbrel, but, but we never should have had Kimbrel in the first place. Exactly. Uh, 
we should take our break there, but we need to we need to come back and talk about the the, the future. major elephant in the room, the number twenty seven elephant in the room, <laughs> uh, because we get we got a huge problem with uh, with Giolito. Uh, so we will take a a quick break, and we will be right back on sharing socks. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back to Sharing Socks. We have mourned the Mile High series that is already over. Uh, the White Sox are blessed with another day off. Uh, so you're thinking to yourself, oh, these guys must have all played all of the last six games. Not the case. We rested guys for no reason. And uh, we need to talk about uh, our boy Lucas. Yeah, I, I and again, since I, since I was doing the game, I was paying close attention. I've got notes here of, of every at bat, and obviously the the uh, first inning, boom, boom, home run, boom, boom, hits all over the place, and he was saved, absolutely saved by a brilliant play by Josh Harrison that went off off the end of Jose's glove, misdirected. Josh reaches back; he's he's going to his left. He reaches back to his right, barehanded, and makes a catch. And gets him out of an inning. And that was with two guys on. If he doesn't do that, it goes into the outfield. That's yet another run. And probably guys on second and third. And wow. they keep going. Then, okay, second inning, it looks like maybe he's recovered. Right? He had a very good second inning. Two strikeouts and three batters. All three. And then it was the same thing. Over and over again. Getting hit hard. Getting hits. Um, fourth inning, two walks in a row. Uh, got a double play to get out of that one. Uh, fifth inning, uh, two guys on again. Lucas is struggling. I love Lucas, but he is really struggling. And you've got with that Lance Lynn struggling. Had a good last game, but no consistency at all. Michael Kopech pushing up toward what his inning limit was supposed to be. I think it's over pushing 90 now, and he's supposed to, they, they said 120-130 at the beginning of the season. Um, and inning limits aside, which I always point out here, Kopech yeah. still threw over 100 pitches. Yeah. Still G- threw G- over 100 G- pitches. Giolito threw 104, I think, in five innings yesterday. That's the White Sox thing. He keeps throwing pitches. Um, and that we have praised Giolito the game before. Yeah. Uh, for being incredibly efficient, but that was just one game, and he went back to this, this terrible inefficiency, and of course, Cease historically is the worst in the major leagues at that, uh, among starters and pitches per inning, is what we're talking about. Um, so it's, yeah. But then we get to 
what are you going to do now? We got to look forward. You got this really, really super easy schedule until the middle of August. Uh, the people who grade these things have the Sox as the easiest by far and have both Minnesota and Cleveland as kind of middling. Uh, so there's a huge advantage there. Uh, but Minnesota and Cleveland are going to do something. Uh, Cleveland, you never know because they're so cheap. Yeah, I mean, they were kind of in, in – well, I think they're looking to acquire, but they did make it known that they're willing to sell some of their controllable starters, which uh, I was a little surprised yeah, please, by. Please, please, action name com- comes up on And on Savali, that. Uh, yeah. What they have is is a, what the Sox don't have, and this is going to be the problem as we close in on the trade deadline. Cleveland's got a great farm system. They develop pitchers like crazy, and that's like they might be willing to get rid of act to get some hitting um, because they got more. They they got more of them coming up all the time. And I, I don't know what they will get for hitters. <clears throat> they've got the new part owner. Maybe they – but, of course, it's not a money thing at this point. It's a – what players have you got? It's not, it's not like free agency. These these are what players have you got to swap over? Sox, exactly. Depending yeah. who's doing the counting, are either dead last or 29th in farm system strength. Uh, there's some players who are doing okay, but can you afford to let Colas go, for example? No. Uh, you certainly can't let Montgomery go, and he's the guy no. who's the big strength. Can't Cespedes. let Cespedes go. Still can't do it because you have no future if you do. That's the thing. We've got three guys who potentially could be good in the major leagues. That's it. You, and you have a big need of relief pitching, particularly if Kelly's Huge. back. He, he's Huge going to be good for the season. Uh, but the relief pitching has been sometimes very, very good. Uh, not a good sign that Jose Ruiz kind of got battled, batted around on Wednesday when he had been doing quite well until the last uh, few days. Uh, These guys know. are going to be gassed. Our starters throw five innings. We we need a whole new bullpen for the second half of the season. because, And then our bullpen pitchers come in and throw 30 pitches an inning. We are... are Pitch efficiency is just laughable. I I always say I get yelled at a lot when people when I criticize Ethan Katz, but I don't know who's in charge of this. But if it's Ethan Katz, he should be fired as well. And I'm sorry, I know people disagree with this, but why is why are we the team where everybody's throwing twenty to thirty pitches an inning? Why are we the team? Why is that the White Sox? Why do we not go after hitters the way pitchers go after our hitters? Why why do we not have pitchers who can paint the zone where our options are throw it out of the zone or throw it down the middle? I mean, I'm I'm not saying that's Katz's fault, but when you see it across your pitching staff, what's that about? What what is that about? Why do we have starters that can only go 5 innings? Why do we have relievers who can only go two-thirds or one inning because they're throwing so many pitches so that when you bring them out the next day, they're worthless because they have dead arms. It's, I I mean, it could be a TLR thing, but, and it could just be trickled down I, I, from I bad don't, management. I don't think that Ethan Katz makes many decisions. I don't either. 
I don't, I don't think he, but, I don't think he's allowed to. I, I, I'm going to maintain my, my faith in cats. I, I may be wrong, but I'm going to maintain my faith. But I don't think he just makes decisions, even in style of play. I don't think he makes those decisions. I, I think that's, that's a Hall of Famer baseball person thing. And it's sad. I mean, it certainly seems in line with the idea of telling people to loaf to first. I mean, it it does feel like it's coming from the same brain of like loaf to first, don't throw strikes is very much (laughs) a similar perplexing mindset. Uh, But I'm just kind of at a loss on these pitchers. I've, I've really never seen anything like it in terms of inefficiency from guys who should be good. And now Giolito, who didn't sign his extension, is, I, I mean, I think at one point he was offered in the 150 ballpark for, for money over a, a handful of years. Well, so long. I mean, he's not getting 150 from anybody now. Uh, what do we do with Giolito? I, you don't extend him at this point. So what do you do? Do you try to? I don't, I don't think they were for an extension him? anyway. I, I think, well, of course, he's back next year. So. Right. He's got a year to to showcase uh, for free agency, and I think he'll probably be fine. But the bigger immediate problem is that we've really got struggling starters. We need a starter. So does every team that's competing. Yes. And they have valuable players to trade to the losing teams that are getting rid of starters. We're not getting any Castillo or Montas or Mali. Uh, well, we can get any of them, but we're going to have to give up our stars. Well, yes, for Andrew Vaughn, we, we, we can get one of them. Yeah. Yes. Uh, obviously, uh, uh, we have one disposable piece in Gavin Sheets, but I don't know that he's very desirable to anybody. Well, we've got, than... we've got plenty of disposable pieces. It's just ones that... Other teams might want. Control. Yeah, I mean, you've got Sheets, you've got Berger, you've got, you know, we've we've got guys we can give up. Uh, it's just that five or six of our DH. No one's going to want them. First baseman. No, no, I, no, I, I no one's going to want them. Uh, and Sevy, Sevy is interesting. <laughs> just a flashback to Wednesday again. Sevy's been doing great defensively, really well. I mean, for how bad he was in the past, he's doing great. He can't catch a ball thrown from the outfield. He missed it again. The, the the winning run yesterday. I don't think he had the guy. I think he was going to score anyway. But the throw went right by him the way they all do. <laughs> he can't. I think what he can't visualize the ball coming in and the runner. He can't. He, he won't switch directly and take his eye completely off the runner. So he's concentrating on the ball. It's what it looks like. So he's kind of caught in between, and and they just. Bounce on back to what's, pitcher and, backing and up. what's up with the, the leaving the mask on thing that I, I, you know, I looked that up and I, because I saw Austin Hedges do the same thing. Okay. And apparently that's become kind of a thing because the new masks are such the weight or whatever of them, uh, that they're not big inhibitors. You can go either way. So catchers, it's all a matter of personal choice for a catcher, whether the mask is on in that situation and i guess you know some don't want to take but the the time to flip it off but and a play at the plate from a guy coming from second you got a lot of time to flip a lot of time um yeah i yeah i mean shouldn't it just be shouldn't as soon as a ball is hit to the outfield the mask should just come off i I mean 
I understand the weight thing and not needing to do it, but you still have things impeding your vision. You know, the, you got a ball coming from the outfield. The catcher's mask is not designed to track balls coming from that angle. It's track, it's designed to track balls that are coming straight in. So you have little bars disrupting your peripheries when you have that mask on. And if you're turned toward the runner and the ball's coming in from up here, I would think that that's a pretty big problem in terms of your vision being disrupted by by the the mask itself on a play at the plate. It, It makes no sense to me to keep the mask on when you have a ball coming in from the outfield for a play at the plate, I, I, you said Hedges did it as well. So apparently, and he's a good defensive catcher. Yeah, apparently people can do it, but to me, is it's just so strange to see a catcher have that mask on and just be outright missing the throws from the outfield. I mean, we we've seen it two or three times recently from Sebi, where he's had that mask on and just straight up misplayed a one hop throw from the outfield. I, I, that's very perplexing to me. I, I don't the understand. The outfielder it. gets the error. And the <laughs> and outfielder the gets the error. Glove. I mean, the, the, apparently the most recent one, which I didn't see it, it sounded like they weren't, weren't going to get him anyway. And that one, I guess was charged to Sebi, but uh, the previous two that I saw, I mean, the guy was dead to rights. He, he would have easily been out at home plate if Sebi had fielded the ball at all. And these are one hoppers coming in. They're, you know, neither of them were super clean long hops, but they weren't short hops. These are plays that a pro catcher should make every time without issue at all. It's very, very strange to me. And then now, back back, back to the trade deadline, I still have in mind as one the White Sox could get for less than giving away the entire farm system, of which there's not much. And I think one rating that I saw had him as the 10th best starter uh, who will definitely be available because he's uh, a rental uh, is Jose Quintana. We both love Q. But I don't understand why we would go get him. I I understand from the sense of we just need a guy who can throw pitches. And he's Uh, a lefty. But for me... And maybe I'm just this defeated with this team. I, I mean, as I've said before, if they don't fire Tony, the season's over anyway. So for me, I'm like, why would we give up anyone for anyone right now? I mean, I, I would happily get rid of Sheets and Berger if somebody wanted them, wanted either of them. But I certainly wouldn't give up a single prospect of any worth for anybody right now. I'm... I, I don't want to be in rebuild mode in my head. I hate rebuilding more than any other word when it comes to sports. But my goodness, if we're going to play with Tony again next year, why bother going to get anyone? I mean, do you try? Do you even try? Do you sell? Do you, I don't know. If we were in any other division, you sell. If we oh, were in if any we were other in division, any other division uh, in the East, I think we'd be 16, 17 games out. In the West, so, we'd be 15 So games what are out. you doing? You're, you're, you're making these deals. You're giving up your future to maybe win a division where you're going to lose in the first round of the playoffs. And I yes. get it that going to the playoffs is good for 
TV money, um, which you would think Reinsdorf would understand because he only understands money and being cheap. Um, so I'm just, I'm, I'm very mixed now. And I, I have guys I would love to get rid of. Um, but I, I certainly don't want to give up any chance at a future this year because I, I we're certainly not seeing a team that can even remotely compete for the World Series right now. I mean, it's just not even not even in our our vocabulary, really. Yeah, I mean, if you look at World if, Series, if, if they win the division, which I, I still think is possible, but just because the division sure. is so bad, and the other two teams have much much more difficult schedules, you are the number three seed. No way you're going to be one or two. That's that's just no. not the question. So you're the number three seed, which means you play the number six seed, which will be either Seattle or somebody from the East. It's a two out of three game series. You will use your best pitchers in your two out of three game series. And you will then go to the three would be playing the number two seed, which is probably Houston. And you will then go to Houston for a seven game series, which will last five games at best. And you also have to keep in mind that you're going in this division, which is likely going to come down to the end of the year. You're not going to be able to schedule your best starter for that first round because you're going to have to throw them the last couple games of the year to to even get into the playoffs, potentially, potentially. So Again, six of the last nine games are Minnesota, which – Means if that's the team ahead of you, you you got to go all out, but you you got a chance. In between the Padres and what we have to hope is that the Padres have clinched where they are in the playoffs. That is, they have no chance to catch the Dodgers, and they know they're going to be either seed number four or five or whatever, which is very possible when you get to that yeah. point. They'll know exactly where they are and who they're going to play, and so they don't play anybody. They just rest everybody. Uh, that's a chance to win some games out in San Diego. But that's the kind of thing you're hoping for for a team before this season started, predicted by the main, not by us, not by White Sox fans, but by the guys who do this thing, you know, Fangraphs and Dakota and Zips, to win the division by at least 10 games, to win 90-something and win the division by at least 10 games. And this is where we are now. I mean. Should we just should, should should we end the cast just chanting fire Tony? Is is that? <laughs> I mean, I I really as you were saying with the the pitching thing, you know, let's say we even do get to a seven game series. You've got Cease, who's going to give you five innings in a game against let's let's say Houston in a game against Justin Berlander. So that's goes, a wash. He goes 14 if necessary. Yeah, that's a that's at best a wash. You know, Cease is really good, but he can only go 5 and Verlander can go 8. I don't know. Any matchup from that point on is advantage Houston. The only game that's even sort of a wash is that first one. I would say there's a world where Kopech is advantage, but I don't think he will be in October. <laughs> but we if it's Houston, that's who and sure it would be if we we got that far. You know, they've got Lance McCullers coming back. 
Yeah. They've played all season. We, we, we've been moaning about injuries. They've gone all season without Lance McCullers. <laughs> I mean, they are, they're so stacked with starters once McCullers comes back. They, I just read that they're looking to sell starters. I mean, that's crazy to me. We've got no chance for a team that is looking to sell good starters <laughs> at the deadline because they have so many of them. I mean, it is, it's so bleak moving forward. We're about to start this, you know, uh, two series in a row against absolutely abysmal teams. But we are also that. I mean, we are we are not as bad as they are, but we are just about as bad as they are. And I don't see how it turns around at this point of the year. It could, but it has to be some it's not going to be from making whatever little shoddy move that the White Sox make, which we know it's not going to be a marquee thing. It's going to be something small and relatively insignificant. Well, in in, in fairness, it's not because they're being cheap. It's because they have nothing worthwhile to trade. Exactly. Exactly. It's, it's not going to be anything. And they are, they are also cheap. So you have both of these things going against you. I, I just don't see it happening unless you fire Tony and some divine inspiration comes up through the guys once they're rid of of this this POS manager because there's nothing. There's nothing. It's it's like we're allergic to being over 500 even. So I don't know. I don't know. I hate to end the podcast on a downer, but we're three days away from August and – there's no time for excuses anymore. There's no time for, for saying that this is, oh, well, when this gets better, we'll be better. When this guy comes back, we'll be better. Well, when this guy finds his thing, he'll be better. Well, if Lance Lynn and Lucas Giolito don't find their thing, uh, I don't know, right now, uh, it's it's over. It's over. And, it's, and another thing, we, we didn't even talk about this and, and should have, except that White Sox are so horrible at communicating with the world. Just horrible. Got to be the worst in any major sport. I mean, they, they couldn't even do it in the NFL by rule, letting people know what the injury situations are. Yeah. This thing with Luis Robert is scary, not just for how long he might be out as a baseball player. They say now he was, his end of his, his stint is, is Friday. He could come back. They're saying no. But that he's got blurred vision and lightheadedness just playing baseball. I mean, this could be all kinds of, I don't know, for the guy's health, yeah, for his personal well-being, uh, forgetting playing the game of baseball. And they won't say anything. And they just play, they don't even not say anything, they lie about it. I mean, uh, you've got Han when people ask him, say, well, I don't really know. We don't really have any updates. You don't know what's going on with Luis Robert? And you're the general manager of a baseball team? This is a guy who is expected to be the next Mike Trout, and you don't know what's going on with a guy with blurred vision and lightheadedness who had to go on the IL because of it? Fired. Should be gone. I don't care if you're executive of the year. How are you executive of the year anyway? Look at this crap we have. All right, I'm about to go off on a rant. We should end there. We should end there so that this can end in a family-friendly 
way uh so we don't <laughs> so we don't have to get the language disclaimer before the podcast because i i will uh go off on that but we are out of time uh do you have any final thoughts before we uh sign off today uh two words you know what they are fire tony that was my guess i would have been right i should have just said it uh yeah i mean the answer starts and ends with firing Larusa. if that doesn't happen the season's over we'll see you next week though on sharing socks to Hopefully celebrate a couple sweeps in a row. Um, We should win seven in a row. There's no reason not to. And if that's not what we're doing, you'll probably see me sporting a hat for whatever team I've decided to cheer for for the rest (laughs) of the year uh, so that I have something to look forward to in terms of baseball. But uh, we know you're frustrated, White Sox fans. We are clearly also frustrated. So let's uh, gripe and moan and mourn together, and we will see you next week on Sharing Socks.